doing something amongst us. And uh, I'm really feel privileged to be part of what God is doing and uh, what he's doing in, in all our lives and what he's doing in our city, in our town. And what uh, we as a church, as, it's not just our gathering on a Sunday morning, is it? It's us within the community, within our in our world. You know, when it says go and reach all the world, well, where is your world? Because I think you're, as you uh, allow God's spirit to come in you and you begin to speak to people and you begin to talk and share the word of God uh, with those around us. Amen. I'm going to jump straight into scripture this morning. We're in 1 Peter and uh, if you don't know where that is, go towards the end and work your way back a, a few chapters and you'll find 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And my title this morning is God's Own People. I don't know if you ever think of yourself as uh, British or you think of yourself as Asian or African or you think of yourselves as whatever nationality you are, but do you ever think of yourself as God's own people? And uh, that's what we're talking about this morning. And let's just read it. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out into his marvelous light. The context of this scripture, we know it's written by the Apostle Peter or he had someone else actually maybe wrote it down for him, but it was him. Um, It was his words. And uh, Peter was part of the inner circle of Jesus. But now it's years later and Peter is in Rome and he writes to encourage multiple churches all across Asia and throughout the known Roman Empire there. And these Christians are beginning to face some difficult challenges with persecution and they're really suffering. And one thing Peter here is doing in his letters, helping them focus on the coming of Christ. Whatever they're going through, he says, come on, Christ is coming back. And whilst these people are non-Jewish, or Gentiles as they would have been called, and originally far off from God, now they are part of God's kingdom. And Paul begins to talk to them as you are God's chosen people. You know, it's like he's not writing to the the Israelites who are God's chosen people. He's writing them to the non-Jews who maybe didn't think of them as God's own people. And Peter maybe struggled with that in the early part we read in Acts about inclusion of Gentiles. And God had to really speak to him and say, come on, we need to break down the barriers of race. We need to break down these barriers that have existed for so long and say, we want one nation. We want one people. And they are a royal priesthood. I'll come to that in a minute. But they are God's own people. And they are now part of the family of God and they have this new identity, they have this new hope and they are part of this new family. And Peter takes some themes from the Old Testament or he would have called scripture about coming out of slavery, out of exile uh, and into the new exodus as these Christ followers leave behind their old life, their former life and they're coming into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's how they become God. Also, all sorts of imagery in there that he picks up. They are the new temple. They are the new kingdom of priests. There's this promise of the new heaven and the new earth in the resurrection. And this is applying to 
now applying to Gentiles, which is absolutely revolutionary um, if you were a first century Jew at that time. That's just a quick thought. But last week I began to speak about what happens after we believe and how do we live in the light of what God has done for us. What happens now? Okay, you believe, you've, you've said, I believe in Jesus Christ, so what happens now? And if you want to listen back, we're on podcast, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're all over the place. You can have a listen to that one. But I spoke about Christian virtue and the character of a new believer in the light of the redemption of all creation, in light of that we are now God's own people, in light of that we're now meant to be rulers of the new heaven and the new earth. And what it means to complete, compete, to keep our eyes on the goal. What is the goal? As in a Christian character, the goal is to embody the full humanity that we will be in the resurrection. You know, people say, you know, as an example of how we should live, what would Jesus do? And sometimes that's helpful, but Jesus lived on earth 2,000 years ago and he he faced some difficult but different situations to what we're facing today. So it's almost like, what will we be like? That is what we're emulating now in the way that we live is what we will be like in the new heaven and the new earth in our resurrected bodies. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. So we look to our future selves as to what we will be and we act accordingly in the present to live up to what we will be as genuine human beings, God-reflecting human beings, made in his image, created that we might shine a light into a world that so desperately needs it. And the glory of the Lord is coming. The glory of the Lord shall fill the whole earth as the waters covers the seas. And we're waiting for that, that promised resurrection. And as we're waiting, where we will be the royal priesthood, or live as priests and kings, we embody that now in practice, as we practice in the present, as, as it gradually enables us to become that complete character that God's called us to be. And maybe now it seems a little bit unnatural. It seems unnatural to say that we are kings and priests. It seems unnatural that we say that we are rule and reign. We're the holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. It doesn't kind of seem right because we know God's kingdom hasn't fully come yet. But I believe God says through Christ Pray that my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's will is in heaven and we are the ones embodying Christ. We are Christ's body making it while we await for the final end that he's called us to be, called us to do. And in this world we see us as reflecting God and God sees us as reflecting humanity back to God as that intercessory role of the priest and as that uh, uh, renewed sense that we are born again now. We are born, we are reborn now. We're not quite what we will be, but we're beginning to live it out in the here and now while we await with hope for the future age. Does that make sense? My first point, I've only got three quick points this morning. My first point is, where does this all come from? And I'm going to go back to right at the beginning of Genesis and how we are made to rule. That's my first point. My second point is how we are redeemed to rule. 
And my final point is in the end how we will be raised to rule. So God said, Genesis chapter 1, let us make humankind in our image according to our opinion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air and over the cattle and all the wild animals of the earth and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. It's nice to know we have dominion over creepy things. Some of you need to hear that. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is again reflected in Psalm chapter 8. And we'll quickly read that. Whose writer is talking about the light and the majesty of God, our creator. And who are these human beings in light of who God is for creation? And it says this, verse 5. Psalm 8, verse 5 and 6. Yet you have made them a little lower than God, but you've crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under their feet. This is creation in line as it's supposed to be with human beings as the chosen ones to care and to rule over it. And how petering what the end will be has to be going back to the scriptures, going back to the Old Testament, what did God originally intend? See, Jesus was asked a few questions, very complicated questions about divorce and about other things, and he says, how did God originally intend it? And then what happened to to mess all of that up? And Peter is looking at the Old Testament. Throughout his book, uh, throughout his letter, he looks at the purposes of God. What was God's intention? What was the higher calling that he's expecting his followers to live up to? What, what it... What he's saying is find out what it means to be God's people, God's own people. What does it mean to be a holy nation? What does it mean to be a royal priesthood that's expected to rule? And he looks back at the scriptures and, of course, all those expectations were not fully met in the nation of Israel. So a redemption had to come. There had to be God's rescue plan. God seemed to rescue the people. That's my second point, redeemed to rule. And the second point, it picks up these themes of the exodus. And the calling out of darkness that Peter talks about is seen as taking these Gentiles out of their own kind of exile. If you study scripture, sin and darkness are often linked together. As we're taken out of sin, we're taken out of darkness. And we're taken into righteousness and we're taken into God's glory light. God's glorious light in the knowledge of who he is, that enlightenment that God wants us to have. He wants to take us out of slavery and exile. Exodus was taken out of slavery, but he also then they were taken into exile in, into, um, into Babylon, and he took them out of that, and he brought them into the promised land. And that's something that these guys waited and waited and waited for hundreds of years for that expectation that God will redeem them, that God will give them their own land, that God would finally be King of kings and Lord of lords and the government would rest upon his shoulders and his rule and reign would never end in kingdom. And so are we. But Moses, who gave the law in Exodus, he warned them again and again. And in Deuteronomy, he says, listen, obey my voice, keep my covenant. You, he would say things to like, You are my treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. And the glory of the Lord is coming. Stick with it because it's going to happen and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. And what they expected is this promised land. What they expected is God to be king. 
not to have a king that ruled over them in a kind of a dictatorship, but a kind of king who's, who, who God, the Lord himself, would be king. And then we would take our proper place and rule with him as those priestly kings. But God told them, all the earth is mine. And because it belongs to me, I want to put you in position. Exodus 19, verse 6, he says, you shall be this priestly kingdom, a holy nation. You think that Peter's obviously read that and he's picking that up in his theme. But that priestly kingdom is a, that as a nation was supposed to act on behalf of the world. So being God's chosen people to rule and reign wasn't meant that you are the dictator superpower that dictates over all the other nations, but you are the ones that act on behalf of others when it comes to relationship with God. And God was asking them to be this this priest to speak on behalf of God and also reflecting who God is to the world around them. This is why in Revelations 5 it says this, you ransomed for God saints from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That word nation is ethnic. That's the word ethnos there. Every ethnic uh, diversity he says you have brought them together and you've made them kingdom a kingdom of priests serving our god and they will reign on earth being rulers on earth is it's it's not this dictatorship it's this intercessory role it's speaking to people on behalf of half of people but essential to this both for the israelites and today is keeping that relationship with god keeping god in proper place and Lord of all, not having idolatry in their hearts. Keeping covenant was key for the Israelites. And in Deuteronomy, it says, keep covenant and you'll stay in the land and you'll be fruitful and you'll rule and you'll reign. Similar to the promises in creation, eating from the tree of life, bringing uh, all of God's life into all of creation. And Deuteronomy picks this up in chapter 28 when he talks about the blessings and the curses and about how you're supposed to be the head and not the tail. You're supposed to be above and not beneath and you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind and your soul you can see how Peter's kind of picking up these themes because Israel didn't keep the covenant and the suffering um, Isaiah said that they would suffer for this but so God sent his servant if you read the servants in Isaiah um, you can pick up this theme that the servant is going to suffer, but it's going to be a light to all the God's people that, that they would once again rule. And what human beings couldn't do, even through um, obedience to the law, because they were weak in their humanity, Christ did in this great redemption, embodying the servant, taking the place of broken humanity, bringing, beating death and rising from the dead, defeating sin and death, and in his resurrection, giving life to those who believed in him. This is why Peter, Paul picks it up in Romans 5 verse 17 and he says, through Christ you're meant to rule and reign in life. And it's this in life today as well as in the end. And that's my final point this morning is to be raised. We are raised to rule. And in the resurrection, we're called to rule and reign. And it's for this purpose we look at the end goal and it's not, the end goal isn't that we go to heaven and, you know, we sit on a fluffy cloud floating around. <laughs> you know, if that's your view of heaven, then I don't know, that that's not quite scriptural. Uh, that there's this old on the throne and we're just hanging around, you know, singing and praising or whatever we're doing, floating around. 
that's not our end goal. Our end goal is the new heavens and the new earth. It's about a being. It's about a kingdom, a place where we are God's own, own people, finally taking our place as priestly rulers in God's kingdom. And what does that rule look like? Maybe we don't know all the details, but we're meant to be the ones who are judging righteously. Paul even picks this theme up, you know, when he talks about should Christians take each other to court. And he's talking about a pagan court, a civil court, where um, you ask some pagan judge to judge over you as Christians. He says, no, you Christians ought to sort this out yourselves. Do you not know that you'll be the one that's judging angels? So Paul, in everything he does, seems to kind of pick up this theme of how we live and how we act now is always in the light of what we are called to be, that goal, that end game that we have. And Ephesians, and this is where I'm going to read quite a lot of Ephesians 1 and 2, so you just have to follow with me. But Peter, but Paul picks up the themes that Peter does about the inheritance that we have in Christ. And he's writing to a church in Ephesus. It's a Gentile church, people who would quickly face the brutal wrath of the Roman Empire. Um, the Roman Empire had all the authority at that time. So re- when you read Ephesians, you kind of read it in that light of who he's writing to. And we'll start at verse 11 and 12 of Ephesians 1. It says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to set our hope on Christ might live today for the praise of his glory. Because the glory awaits us, the glory that will cover the 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 whole earth for this reason you know paul begins to pray for them he says i want to give and revelation in this life now and i'm going to made possible in the here and now as you come to know him whenever you see that word wisdom and you're talking to a jewish person you know what they instantly think of the rule of solomon king solomon although he had wealth and he had glory it was his wisdom that set him apart from all the other kings, both before him and after him. And Paul is praying that you'll have this kind of wisdom, that your hearts and would be enlightened and you'll be un- to fully understand the hope that we have, the glorious inheritance that awaits those be- who believe. And then in verse 20, he speaks about the authority, something that the, the, the Roman Empire want to quickly crush if you're following someone else apart from Caesar, if you're following someone else apart from the emperor. It says, verse 20, says, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rulers, authorities, and powers, and dominion, above every name that is named, is over Caesar, full stop. And, he, you know, if you're reading this, it's quite a dangerous, uh, he's on a bit of dangerous ground when he's writing this. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, you know, reading Psalms 8, you remember. And he has made him, Christ, the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So he's on this dangerous ground. You see, Rome and the emperor had the ultimate authority, but Paul's saying, no, 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 it's Christ that has it. And it's the church that's going to act out on that authority because Christ is looking to delegate that authority now, but although not fully realized until the age to come. So in chapter 2, he speaks about 
what does this authority mean for us here and now? Just as God is looking for those to represent him uh, in creation, in Christ, he has all authority, he has all dominion, and he's brought these people alive. He's brought them back from sin and death, and by his they were uncircumcised, not part of Christ's kingdom. He says, you were without hope, without Christ, strangers to the covenant, now you've been brought in, verse Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, God is rich in mercy. Out of the great love which he's loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us and love in Jesus Christ. Isn't this the most rich language? I just love this. I could read this all day. Jump down to verse 15. He says this, He created in himself one new humanity in the place of the two. So what is in place of the two? He's talking about the Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about the Jews and the Greeks. He's talking about breaking down the racial barriers that God is not now interested in just one nation of Israel, but through Christ he has created this one new him peace, that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. There's no place for hostility. You are part of one family. You are God's own people. So he came to proclaim this peace. He came to put an end to the war. He's saying, you know, when Christ said, it is finished, the curtain was torn in two and the way to open, the way was open to God and they have access, it says, through one spirit to the Father. So then he says, verse 50, um, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, he says. You're citizens with the saints and members of the household to God, built on the foundation of the prophets. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined and grows together into God's holy temple. You see that temple imagery again? In whom you are built together for a spiritual dwelling place for God. Let's just close, shall we, in prayer? You know, in the beginning, God wanted this fruitful, faithful people. He wanted his own people to represent God. He wanted God's image on earth. And God designed this garden. This garden was like a temple, if you like. A temple in the ancient world is that connecting point between heaven and earth. And God made that place, the Garden of Eden, where he could walk and talk with the those those first human beings and he wanted to have fellowship with them he wanted to have a relationship with them and he wanted them to eat from the tree of life and that temple heaven and earth connection is now in us is now in us this new humanity that are meant to be we were made to rule we were redeemed to rule and of course we will be risen in full and final rule at the end. God says to you right now, listen to this. This is for you. You are God's you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own people. I'm reading again from 1 Peter 2, aren't I? You are God's own people. Just take that in and say, I'm God's people. I'm part of his family. 
Why, he says, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Isn't that awesome? We've been t- we're light with Christ, amen. We're alive with him. Hallelujah. 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 For your word that it is true. And that we know from hearing all that this morning that you're for us and you want us to have victories here on this earth today, now. And he's always with us. Amen. Shall we stand? He's always with us. Let's just know that whatever we're going through, he's always with us, standing with us, beside us, and just encouraging us all the way.